Hey, Guru Nation, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining this live stream today. I'm, I actually picked like a great day to go live because I'm, I'm actually sick. I have a cold. And <laughs> Bree, I don't know if you know this, but I'm going live today, like right now with you, obviously. And then yeah. at 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific time with Latinos in Clinical Research live. Oh, so it's like I picked the wrong day to be sick, <laughs> let me tell you. But no. I'm very happy to be able to do this. Like, there's no way I'm going to miss this. Brie Burks, she is a nurse. She's somebody with a nursing background, like an ICU nurse. She's worked on stroke patients, studies. She's currently the vice president of strategy for Viva, um, particularly site solutions. And this is what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about sites. We're here to talk about your career trajectory. You in particular, Bree, I think a lot, you know, we have a lot of nurses watching, actually. Mm -hmm. A lot of nurses I've been noticing on They're TikTok, happy. like nurses, maybe we can start with that. Mm. Nurses are so overworked mm -hmm. in, in traditional healthcare setting. Why do more of them not know about research? Because it seems like on my TikToks, yeah. when I bring, like, I try to bring some awareness they don't believe it. Like they think mm -hmm. it's a scam or like, oh, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't trust this. Like why don't we have more nurses doing research? They're exactly what we need in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you my opinion there. So they don't get introduced to it in nursing school. Um, when I did my research courses, when I was getting my bachelor's and then I have a master's in nursing where I thought, Oh, at that point I'd already been exposed to clinical trials. Oh, they'll definitely in my, research class for my master's, we'll talk about it more. But it was more just looking at the publication and breaking it down and looking at the stats. You don't ever think about the people doing the work. So that's one thing is they're not exposed to it, you know, when they're going through school. And then the other thing is, you know, unless you're really within an academic medical center or a place where research is the mission, because it is predominantly a money loser, uh, it within the healthcare system. I will not tell you how much we subsidized research the last year I left Vanderbilt because it would blow your mind. Um, so it's a it's a money loser for you know within the healthcare system because it's not managed well. Um, so many healthcare systems stay away from it. And then the other thing I think is for a lot of the healthcare systems that do it, quite honestly, nurses have so many options. And they're more expensive to sort of get into research out of the gate and to learn it, to learn. They're not taught things like data management and, you know, they're not taught about the IRB and all of that. So you have a nurse that knows something clinical, but they're kind of starting from the ground up in research. They're a more expensive salary. Um, so we were really careful about hiring nurses when I worked within healthcare and, and, and had nurses on my team. So... And look it is at, unfortunate, though. It is. A, and we have to talk about there's a couple of things I want to kind of uh, double click on. Okay. Look at all these nurses here again. By the way, the comments, did you guys realize like the comments section now is robust enough finally for people to actually network? Look, MD, PhD here looking for good nurses for clinical research sites. Now, check this out, Brie. RN here. RN here. Are in here. I love it. Here. Like this is we're turning the tides on this, which this is what great. we're trying to do. We're trying to connect people. Like the comments are mature enough to where real networking can actually happen mm -hmm. in the comments, mm -hmm. That's which cool. is crazy to me. Um, before we get into anything, I got to thank Viva, the sponsor, as you can tell. 
I'm like all viva it out every now and then with the swag. Look, free site, e-regulatory sites. First of all, most sites, they don't even have e-regulatory. It's a huge unlock when you do this. You can start doing remote monitoring visits. Mm -hmm. I have two monitoring visits, two closeout visits next week. Or sorry, in two weeks. Um, the monitor is not even going to come in because it's we're, we're fully electronic. So he can look at the EISF. So this is a free tool, Viva Site Vault. Over 400 sponsors already use Viva. They're the ones that pay for it. So they're basically, you talked about in academic research, research gets subsidized. Here, private research, industry is subsidizing Viva Site Vault for the sites like like me and you. And we have to talk about sites because I think if run the right way, research is a profitable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So anyways, I just wanted to get that out of the way and thank Viva for being the sponsor. And thank you, Bree, for being one of the key people to set that up. I really appreciate it. It's our pleasure. And thanks for wearing all your Viva stuff. And I felt like I didn't have to wear anything Viva. Dan <laughs> <laughs> has more Viva stuff than me. So. It's all here. Okay. Bree, there was a recent article mm. on Stat News. I still have to do a podcast on it. But it says there's a, a young people exodus from academia. Mm. As someone that has been in academia, mm-hmm. why do you think this is? I mean, academia often are just totally underpaid, uh, undervalued in a lot of ways, I would say. The work there is great. I mean, you have to really be tied to the mission. And I think that's what drives most people that are there. They are totally driven to the mission. However, that same mission now is the mission of many, many other companies outside of academics. So I think for even people that are mission driven and that's why they've stayed there, they have a lot of additional opportunities outside of academia to still support that same mission, maybe be valued in a different way, um, have more job opportunities, more opportunities to be paid better. That, that's how I see that. Okay. And then can we talk and please guys and gals put your questions in the comments, regardless of what platform, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Put your questions in there. We're going to try to get to all of them. This is a perfect guest because she's been a nurse. She's been an ICU nurse. Then she's been a coordinator. Then she's been a site director. Now she's on the the tech side, which is like the whole new revolution now hitting our industry. I have a lot of opinions about all these things. But Bree, how did you get into research? Like, let's mm-hmm. go like way back as the okay. questions come in. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably like most of you, I fell into it. So... Uh, Dan mentioned I was an ICU nurse. I was a, I was a general ICU nurse. And then I got tapped to, uh, help stand up at the university of Florida, the first neuro ICU that they opened. And I loved that. I loved that patient population. Um, that patient population just had my heart. And, um, I thought, well, I want to go back and get a master's degree, come back into this ICU and be an acute care nurse practitioner. That'd be like really valuable to help these patients. And in doing that, I started seeing a couple of my friends walk around with white coats and clipboards, looking like they were having a pretty easy time talking about how they weren't working night shifts anymore, or, you know, cleaning up messes. I'll save you guys the details on that. But I was like, what are y'all doing? They're like, we're research nurses. And I'm like, 
what does that mean? So I thought, so they didn't well, look stressed out to you, right? Like, they, oh, they did not like look stressed. Chill. So I was like, oh, they're, they're chilling. I should, while I'm getting my master's degree <laughs> and having to work full time, maybe I'll do that. So that's how it got on my radar. And obviously little did I know the, the major complexity behind it from the small sliver that I saw them walking around and, you know, drawing a tube of blood here or there. But I ended up, of course, then changing my whole track after that and just falling in love with it. Wow. Yeah. You know, maybe this answers the first question, like why more nurses don't know about it. Like mm -hmm. usually when you're in healthcare, this happened yesterday, actually. I was at my site and our coordinators are in a room right next to the MAs for the private mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. So these MAs, their medical assistants, they don't know research, but they see us. Mm -hmm. So one of them asked me, it was actually the lead, the lead medical assistant asked me yesterday. She's like, Hey, I see you guys are busy. Like you have patients every day now, but the staff leaves like whenever they want, like three o'clock, two o'clock, we have to stay till five, six. Like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I said, look, if they finish their work, like we, we try to get one to two patients a day. That's the goal right now. If they finish and they enter their data, they can leave. Like, this is research. So it's exactly what you're saying. Like people from yeah. healthcare are seeing like a sliver, <laughs> but they're like, what's going on? This is weird. We yep. can't leave till five on the dot. Like they have to punch totally. out. They're, they're getting paid by the hour and yeah, you got to put those hours in and yeah, there's just, you don't, you're not necessarily treated like a professional, I think as much as you are in, in the research industry. Yeah, I mean, we got to do a better job of raising awareness because look at these mm -hmm. comments. So let's go through some of these. So they're not taught how to do basics anymore, like EKGs, blood draw. This is true. Not every mm -hmm. MA, CNA even is taught how to do that. Mitchell said, proud supporter of Eva Site Vault. Thank you, Mitchell. <laughs> Brendan, if you are exposed to research in nursing school, it is academic yeah. research. You would have never heard of pharma companies and private research clinics focused on bringing drugs to market. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, maybe this is a good question for Bree. Uh, do you have any job recommendations for critical nurses looking to go into research? I do. I definitely have some connections with people that are still within healthcare looking. Um, so you should reach out to me. Reach out to me on LinkedIn so we can connect. Uh, good point. Actually, Bree's LinkedIn will be underneath this video and in the show notes. If you're watching live, you already see her underneath here. So you can click on her, but yes, the answer to your question is yes. We need more of you mm -hmm. in whatever role you want. <laughs> That's right. Look at Bree. She works for Viva for a tech venture. How did you transition from coordinator, site director, academia to Viva? Mm. I mean, none of it was planned. So just kind of, uh, I, I wore a lot of hats when I was first a research nurse. I had 10 studies. I reported to a neurosurgeon. They were all mine. I had to do every single part and piece of the entire study. Um, so it was great. I mean, like lots of small sites, like my hat's off to you if you're in, in that situation today and you're doing recruiting, regulatory, you're invoicing, you're doing all the data. I mean, you're literally doing it all. Um, I did that for a while and then... Um, always came from the standpoint, I had a really great first boss that was a brilliant neurosurgeon. And he was like, look, we are going to make money off this and we're going to grow. And so you're going to be tracking that. And I want you to think about that. 
uh, and with other parts of what I what I would see in these big health systems is nobody was really tracking any of the research dollars. All of it was subsidized. All of it was watered down. You really didn't know what it was, you know, what the cost of the research business was. And I was told from the beginning not to have that mindset. So that sort of propelled me into managing teams and then department chairs going, why, how are you guys doing this so well and truly treating this like a business? And when we saw shifts in healthcare um, and the need for research to truly be treated like a business within academia, I just kept getting more opportunities. So my last role before coming to Vivo was developing and then overseeing a central clinical trials office at Vanderbilt. Um, and when I left, we had several hundred studies um, and I guess probably about headcount of 50, 55 people. Um, and the, the thorn in the side was technology. And we had all of these ways we wanted to operate and couldn't get it done without technology supporting it all. So we went down a path of building it ourselves. That became first, at first, super exciting. And then it became very expensive. And I also realized the limit of my own knowledge and that I couldn't keep something like that going um, in the way that I wanted to. We'd spent a ton, we spent millions on creating our own technology. It became a massive part of our, our budget. And then all the portals started happening where we built our own e-reg system. And then it was like, log in and add your stuff here. And it was just this constant fight of who was gonna win this battle between operating in their systems, them coming into our system, this is a nightmare. So even though we kind of made strides internally to optimize our own workflows, we couldn't figure out how to then share all of what we were doing back with our sponsors. Um, and we started doing some direct to patient technology too, and that had challenges. So I kept feeling, I was so fixated on technology being the solution that I needed to most of my problems when I was at Vanderbilt and Viva got on my radar. Um, and they were the first company that I'd heard of that was like, we are going to make the industry better for everybody that's participating. And I just thought, I got to be a part of that. That's super cool. That's exactly what I'm looking for is... You know, a company that really is positioned to pull something like that off because it's going to have to happen on a massive scale. So um, you just applied, like you you were a fan of the company first, and then you I started talking to them when I would see their little orange booth at conferences, huh. um, and made made some connections over a short period of time, and I ended up getting a call from the CEO, and I'm glad I didn't know much about him at that that point. Um, cause I think I would have been a lot more nervous, but we just sort of had a conversation and he said, come on and help us figure this out. We don't know how to have customers like you. We want to do this the right way. Um, and I somehow got a job out of that. So you mean to tell me networking is how networking. You... <laughs> so valuable. See, guys, I'm telling you guys, so you valuable. Know, I get tired of telling people the same thing. You know, I run out of things, ways to say it. So the best new way to say it is to bring on guests and have them basically tell you the same thing. You see? All right. <laughs> Good afternoon. I'm a health professional with a master's in public health wanting to transition into clinical research. You can. Like any background, mm -hmm. any background. It's, it's hilarious. People ask me on TikTok, hey, mm -hmm. I'm a RN. Do you think I qualified it for a research job? Like, do you realize we have like 
teachers, like preschool teachers, transitioning to research. We have art instructors. We have people who work mm -hmm. at um, museums or Knott's Berry Farm, like amusement parks that dressed up like characters doing research. It doesn't matter what your background is. Of course, healthcare is <laughs> welcoming of you. This is one of the unique things about our industry, regardless of your background. Mm -hmm. There's a place for you here. It's just a matter of you finding... First, you have to navigate the lay of the land. And I really think it's private industry sponsored smaller sites, the ones Viva is mm -hmm. really trying to reach. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's your best bet. But if you have a more traditional background like like Patricia, I mean, you pretty much have your options open to you everywhere. Small industry, large industry, because that master of public health can get you a lot of places. It's huge. I had great experience with people with MPHs. Um, and I would say, you know, I don't I don't know if you've seen this, Dan, because I know as a vendor, I go to a lot of conferences, but I've seen a good amount of people going into conferences now within our industry that are looking to get in, which I found super cool. Coming by all the vendors, talking to everybody, handing out their cards, like promoting themselves. And then I would watch them and they were just making connections all over the place, you know, because we're all there in one spot. Um, so that's something to consider is I don't you know, you don't have to be part of our field to get into like an SCRS conference. And you've got everybody right there, basically, at Everyone, your disposal to start yeah. connecting with. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. The problem is those things are so expensive. <laughs> Um, that's true. That is, true. <laughs> it is an investment to get access to those people. Now, but I've also seen quite a few people that don't go and pay for the conference and sort of loiter in the hallway. Yes. They seem to be doing pretty good too. So, I've done that. I've actually done I've that. Done my, first, my first DIA in 2014, mm -hmm. it was in San Diego. So I just drove down from Orange County, loitered the hallway, you yeah. know, and just talked to everybody that I needed to there. Like, you can do that too. Yep. Okay. Um, Hamid says, I actually don't know how to answer this one. How can we get free Viva training? <laughs> yeah, there's two ways. So if you want stuff that's just on demand, if you go to sites.viva.com, we've got a treasure trove of training materials. Um, we've got resources on health. We've got videos. You also can sign up for live training once you sign up for the product. So you can slot in um, and actually get training from a Viva person live, which is pretty cool. Um, you can do group trainings that are like on special topics. Like we have a site vault one-on-one -on -one training, um, or you can even get your own one-on-one -on -one training. But if for some reason you don't, you don't find what you need, you can also message me on LinkedIn and I'll get you connected. But we've got plenty of, of ways that you can train on the product. Wow. You guys really are subsidizing this thing. You're trying to make an impact, trying to reach the sites. I think that's important. Nobody has made the effort. Um, and it's a worthy effort. It's a worthwhile mm -hmm. outcome if you can actually mm -hmm. pull it off. Yeah, it's uh, good for the whole industry. I mean, making sites, I mean, at least for me, um, the resilience that you have to have the love that you have to have for patients to stay working out of sight is so tremendous because it just feels like you just hit obstacle after obstacle. Um, and, you know, we really believe at Viva that um, making a site 
life better and optimizing the way that they work and, and actually allowing them to focus on their patient more is better for everybody. It's better for sponsors. It's obviously great for patients. And so we are going big on that and coming in as one of several e-regulatory providers and coming in late, quite honestly, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put a big stake in the ground. And that's why we're saying this is free. And we are investing in making sure you can be successful on it. We're not just giving it to you and saying, good luck. Uh, we're going to make sure that you have a great experience with our teams using the product uh, because we really do, we really do want to get, you know, be the global e-regulatory provider for sites. It's a perfect segue to the next question. So, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. You guys are late, but You're late. Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter because I think the industry is early. Like, Mm -hmm. Site adoption hasn't really occurred. Uh, I think majority okay. of sites still use paper. So Rod actually asked okay. a good question. I have my answer as a site owner. And somebody, by the way, who is currently sponsored, my podcast sponsored by Viva. And I used to be semi-sponsored by Creo. Um, I'm a user of both products. So let me explain why I think where I think the advantages are, but let me first start with Creo advantages. So Creo still has like, they, they currently have an e-source and they have a CTMS system in addition to e-rec and Creo's early. Like they got into this super early site centric, all that stuff. They're also rolling out e-consent, things like that. The problem with Creo is you have to pay for it. All right. Um, the thing about Viva, yeah, they don't have e-source at least not yet, and I don't know how much Brie can get into it, but if you can read the tea leaves and just project yourself like 10 years down the road, because there's already over 400 sponsors using Viva on their end. So, you know, currently there's no e-source, there's no CTMS. There is e-consent if the sponsors choose to use it. The advantage of Viva, besides free, which is a huge advantage for e-regulatory, is you're put on a list of sites using it. So sponsors that are using Viva can see the sites that are signed up for Site Vault. Another advantage is it gets you into the ecosystem uh, for when they do roll out future products, which they may or may not do, right? I don't work for Viva, guys. I just wear a shirt. But you got to have to put yourself out there as a site owner and say, okay, well, I'm going to pay for... Creo because it's it works well, but I can still use Viva Site Vault as well because it's free, and there's only advantages I can get for using Viva, and then you can pick and choose. Hey, I want this study to be Ereg Creo. I want this study to be Ereg Viva, or you can just do both. Like there's nothing stating you can't have a backup EISF for your files. You just need to put it in your SOP. I use both. And that's my answer, Bree. As an employee of Eva, probably has a better answer, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> or you don't want to touch this one, Bree? It's up to you. I'll say I'll say a little bit about it. You know, I think that um, Creo does. I mean, that's true, Dan. Like they they have more to offer right now for sites to run their business on. We focused on ereg. Our strategy has been we want to have the best ereg. We want to really get that right before we start thinking about doing more. Um, but I think, you know, we are thinking about clinical trials much more holistically than just a site's e-reg or even just a site's internal operations. I think that 
when you think about the challenge of, a, of the site, I say the site is like the linchpin of the clinical trial because all of this information is flowing to the site from the sponsor CRO out to patients, back into the site, back to the sponsor CRO. Like so much of what makes the site's life hard is the sharing of all of the regulatory information. And we are thinking about that. We believe that is something that technology can solve. Um, and we are the only ones that have an e-regulatory that are thinking about that. Good point. Yeah, the integration. I kind of left that one for you because that's a huge advantage too. It's the passive integration. So if the sponsors are already using Vivo, which over 450 already are, and your site's using SiteVault, even mm -hmm. if you use Creo, you can use both. They can choose, okay, well, we already have access to Viva, so we can just plug it into your Viva. We don't even need to ask you for external access. The point is, Rod, it's early in the game, and there's no harm in playing around with it. That's that's my mentality, too. Even before the sponsorship, by the way. Uh, okay, I left academics, too. <laughs> Back to um, leaving academia. There's, some, <laughs> there's something here, Bree. You know, academics is a trap. So in doing these live streams, I end up being being devil's advocate a lot. Like <laughs> I made a few videos like, hey, academia, try to get out of it. But you're an example of somebody who's like built a great career on a foundation of academia. And now you're in private industry. Mm -hmm. so I there, never thought I was going to leave academics either. I mean, I, that was never planned. And you loved it. I loved it. It was really hard and there were things about it that were challenging, but the people that are there are amazing and getting to work with, I had the really cool opportunity to work with hundreds of doctors that, you know, had chosen because within academia, here's a nuance, those nonprofit academics, those physicians make no extra money to be involved in clinical trials. They cannot, it is, it is against the nonprofit status. Okay. So what they get to be part of clinical trials is hopefully their leadership will allow them to have to do less clinical work and clinical billing procedures, you know, physicals, treatments, whatever, to get them protected clinical trial time. But that usually takes them a while to get to. So they're just doing this to do it. They're doing it because they want to publish. They're doing it because they really care about their field and they want to contribute and give back. They are not gaining any dollars personally by doing research. Um, and so those types of physicians, to me, again, to play devil's advocate and talk about the good, they just had a love for patients and a passion to steer their field forward in a way that was really special um, to me. And um, that was uh, fueling for me to stay there. So why... Are there comments like this? Can you speak a little bit about that one? Academics is a trap. Why are there <laughs> comments like this? For for me to speak to? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think. Yeah, because like you had a good experience, but. Well. Play devil's advocate again. Mm -hmm. Maybe like people mm -hmm. on the lower tier of the employment, they're like, hey, you mm -hmm. know, I can't really yeah. advance. That seems yeah. to be the main sure. crux of the article I for read. For sure. For yeah. sure. It's because you have a business that is completely focused on clinic, the clinical engine, clinical revenue, you know, the dollars and cents, the whole business revolves around routine clinical care and research is very nuanced. 
um, and even their technology processes, HR classifications, they're not really focused on research. Research is like the, I would say, you know, like the stepchild to the big clinical engine, if they're even doing research at all. And so what you can end up becoming very much so is the jack of all trades clinical trials person underneath a great, excited, going to change the world clinician, that's your PI, but they don't understand what you're doing from an operational standpoint because they're trying to focus on being a physician. Um, they don't know how to help you with any kind of career ladder. Um, all they know is as their business grows and they do more and more, you get to do more and more. And so I saw that a ton within academics, which would which was like stealing. This PI would steal this person's, P, you know, research coordinator would steal this person. It was like the way to get a raise was just to bounce around and <laughs> for doctors to beg their department chair to pay you a little bit more. Ah. It was crazy. And that's why you're seeing in academics. Um, and some of it's funding from the NIH too, but these central clinical trial organizations being built and it's more of like a refuge. So you, so you have this experience where people operate just under a clinician or in a really small team, which I've done, or they operate in a big center where now you have way more pull. You can do career tracks. You have people that understand your operations supporting you and you're not just working underneath a physician that seems to be where people with that within academics are thriving a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a fair, fair response. Um, before COVID, I saw a lot of momentum mm -hmm. in public private partnerships. So academia trying, trying to emulate yeah. the private clinic model. Like, so they would do partnerships and I won't name who, but one of them uh, asked me to submit a proposal. I spent like Brie, I spent like a month doing this 40 page proposal and they took the idea and they said hey thanks but uh we're actually not gonna go with you <laughs> but they're doing it so these private public partnerships their academia's response to innovation at the mm -hmm. smaller uh, mm -hmm. site side um, mm -hmm. we've got tons of questions so let's go through these okay uh rns are desperately needed for better accuracy of data collection that i see in pharmacovigilance Absolutely. Um, RNs, you guys, like the industry needs you so badly, you don't even realize. Pooja said, can't seem to find a volunteer position. Um, they're there, Pooja. You got to, it's more about framing how you approach. And mm -hmm. this is why I think the small sites are better. Um, I'll take an example. My site, Yuma Clinical Trials. I'm trying to build social media platforms now. So I want to make a YouTube channel, Instagram, kind mm -hmm. of mod um, model what I did with my own brand for Yuma Clinical Trials. So I, I would love volunteers to help me go out in the community and interview people. Problem is I need somebody local to actually go mm -hmm. out and take a camera and do that. But if you approach the sites with the right framework of like knowing what they need first, because if you just go to a site and say, I want to volunteer, let me tell you to me as a site owner, what that sounds like, like I want to volunteer to me. It sounds like I need to babysit this person and I need to spend time training them. And I don't want that. Like I, I'm not signing up for that right now. I'm just telling you the truth. So you need to approach these sites to volunteer with offering something practical to them. I can go 
get patients in the community. I can go build your brand in the community. I can raise awareness in the community. I can go on clinicaltrials.gov and find you study leads that you can email. Those are things like, those are like actual things you can offer. Not just saying, hey, I want to, I want to volunteer my time. Totally agree. That's, that's the reality of it, Pusha. So and I agree. Dan, you said stick with the private sites. A lot of the healthcare systems, or at least the ones that I worked with, we couldn't accept volunteers. We could only accept students as part of like a practicum or something pre-approved because they were so afraid of a lawsuit just where they would say, you've got this person over here and this person over here. This person is not getting paid to do the same exact thing this person over here is getting paid to do. This, this volunteer is going to come back and sue us and say, you should have paid us. Da, 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 da. So I tried for a while to set up internship opportunities and really had to fall back on students only wow. um, because of organizational challenges. So I, I totally agree. Stick with the private smaller sites that have the flexibility and bring something to the table. But I think it'll be challenging for you to hook into like healthcare and get an internship. Without great, being great insight, actually. Yeah, that explains a lot. Uh, that's kind of what I suspected, but mm -hmm. the way you articulated that because you actually dealt with it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. For that. Here's the here's somebody hiring. Contact me if interested. Dr. Vanderleden at gmail.com. There you go. There you guys go. Doctor, you're gonna get tons of <laughs> can leave this up here a little bit longer. Um Talking about nurses not being taught mm -hmm. to do EKGs. Yeah, thank you, Rod. Um, do you have any leads for director of clinical ops in Dallas? I don't. I don't. Dallas is growing. The, there's so many research sites in Dallas you've never mm -hmm. even heard of, like small. We probably have like four or five clients in Dallas, like small research sites. Just do a deep dive on LinkedIn and Google of research sites in Dallas. I worked as a CRC regulatory, but in, unable to get work in pharma biotech startups. I've had several interviews, but did not get job offers. I just can't understand why, because mm -hmm. I was a good fit. That's my story. Huh. You should be able to. What do you think, Bree? Yeah, it's so interesting how I feel like I, I feel like I see this where there's no rhyme or reason to people that are able to, that want to transition from working at a site to going into farmer or some, some other role. Um, and I feel like so much of what, what happens is like, especially if you're in regulatory, if you're sitting with the CRAs and the monitors, that seems to be people's way in. But I would say, you know, there are, there are groups like Merck um, and like um, Park Cell that have these if you're willing to do this, they have these big like internships where you can go and you can get paid work and you can get accepted. And from there you can transition and for sure become CRAs there. And there's some big pharma companies that you might want to focus on going into their programs and getting training and going through their internship programs to then have the assurance of landing a job outside. I know that they like Parkcell takes hundreds of people a year through their program. So that's another thing to think about if you're really serious about going on on that side of the industry. Um, look for some big players that have a really clear pathway to do that. Another way, another strategy, which might be the circuitous scenic <laughs> route, 
like somebody like Viva, like try, you know, they're actually looking for people with your background. I mean, Viva, people don't understand the size of Viva. Like they're the size of like these CROs. Um, so a tech vendor doesn't have to be Viva, but tech vendor. Why? Because that will be valuable experience to a biotech. Mm-hmm. Biotech sometimes are doing their first major trials. They need somebody with experience with these platforms. So what better way to get that experience than to actually work for one of these companies? And then you can maybe go to biotech or maybe you'll like it and stay there. Who knows? The leverage, mm-hmm. the you have the leverage, the more of a generalist you can become. Mm-hmm. Sponsors are also using SIP platform. What is this SIP? Can you still use your platform combined? What is Do you know what this is? SIP. Yeah. SIP platform. Yes. You know, I have no clue what this is. <laughs> well, I'll give you a, my little, um, my little two cents into SIP because I don't know how, if everyone is interested in hearing the, my story, but we can certainly connect um, offline about this. So SIP is technology that has six large pharmaceutical sponsors um, that have come together and said, hey, for sites that will work with us through this portal, you can provide information. We will share it across all of the sponsors. We will decrease the amount of portals you guys have to go into and we'll work together. Um, The interesting thing is five of those six sponsors, you're actually connecting to Viva technology on the other side. So after hearing sites kind of talk about SIP and their experience, what we've done is said, hey, we've got this great opportunity to do a direct connection. We've got, as Dan's now said a couple of times, most of the sponsor and CROs on our technology operating today to run their business. We should just take our free site technology and do the direct connection um, and not have to have sort of a middleware in between like SIP, which is just a connector product. So, um, so SIP is actually hooking into Viva um, on one side uh, to feed into the sponsors. And we are now re-looking at that and we actually have direct connections going on from the site vault system into our sponsors. Okay. Well, there's some inside baseball on SIP. I've never heard of it. Somebody doing this 17 years. So that should tell you um, how important it is. (laughs) Yeah. If you're not working with, you know, there's only six customers on it. So if you're not working and doing a lot of trials with them, with those major pharma uh, customers, and a lot of them have an oncology focus, then it probably wouldn't be on your Uh, Yeah, that explains it. And it's not Mm -hmm. to say that just because you're not on SIP uh, doesn't mean you won't be able to work with these kind of sponsors. Like if you're a site, we get offers from big pharma all the time. I don't know which six are on there. I don't even care, quite honestly. But um Okay, thank you for that, though, Bree. This is why it pays to have guest gurus come on. Okay, <laughs> this one, this one, Bree, my, I'll give you my opinion, and I'm curious to hear yours because you've actually been in this role where you're hiring people. Mm-hmm. What is difficult is to get in when they always require one to three years of experience. Here's my macro mm-hmm. thought as to why. First of all, as a private site owner, I don't require any years of experience, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I know the big mid to large sites, especially like academia and CROs. And when you start getting into like those, those bigger organizations, they always put this in their mm-hmm. job postings. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to self filter people that don't feel like they're ready. 
Because if you don't tell me if you have 10 months of experience, mm -hmm. you wouldn't consider somebody if they were really good, Bree, and they checked all your boxes. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know that I hear this a lot. Um, and I agree with you, Dan, not everybody thinks that this is necessary. I do not. I hired plenty of people in academics with specific roles that had no experience because we were looking for a type of person that was the most valuable. But here's the thing. We had to be able to nurture that person. So we hired most of our people with zero experience. Um, and then we had a plan as I built up bigger teams to actually nurture and grow them through an entire career journey. Yeah. I think when you see things like that, it makes me a little nervous when people are requiring certain years of experience because it makes me take a step back and go, well, what does that environment look like? Are they, are they not going to nurture you? Are they not going to train you? Or are they going to expect you to just step in and right out of the gate, you're ready to go? So in some ways, I think that some of the groups that are requiring that, that would be something I would want to really have a conversation with them around, even if you have the years of experience to say, what does it look like to nurture and, and be entry level here? You know, do you support people through a journey of a career or do you just want to hire people without support? Not saying they do, but just make sure that they do not and just make expect that they're going to hit the ground running. That is what happened for me when I first became a research nurse. I sat down. I had a book on the Holocaust. That was it. It was like, this is what the terrible things that happened in the Holocaust for clinical trials. You're on your own. I literally never got trained on anything. And I know that's a lot of people's wow. stories. So some of it, I feel like, has bled over from that was the expectation for a long time in our industry when there was a lack of support. Um, I don't think that there is now. I think that many people can come into this industry and do very, very well with no experience at all, but they need to have the right level of support in the right environment uh, to be able to grow. So look for that, Patricia. Well, yeah, look look for that and don't let that scare you. Yes. Right? Like if you're good and you know you're good and you know you're good for the job, apply it anyways. What's the worst they can say? Mm -hmm. The worst they can say is no. You're You're already at no even if you don't apply, like you have nothing to lose. You're already at no. Um, yeah. My first day on the job at a small site, first day site selection visit. I know nothing about research. The lead coordinator comes to me minutes before we're about to meet with the CRA in the conference room and says, Hey, whatever she asks you, just say yes to everything. I was like, okay. Sounds right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So like, how many patients can you recruit? Hundreds, hundreds of patients, you know. They literally <laughs> asked me. They went around the room and asked, and I know nothing. Okay. Day one, mm -hmm. do you have experience with PANS? It was this is an assessment for schizophrenia, positive mm -hmm. and negative symptoms of schizophrenia. Yes. <laughs> but I have no clue what they're talking about. Okay. Just dropping in the chat to let everyone know Viva has had such a positive impact on my career in this industry. Dan and Bree are also amazing, so I couldn't miss this chat. Thank you, Mitchell. That was unexpected, yeah. man. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Okay. How can you find volunteer positions? We discussed that, Pooja. Hope, like, message me on my blog. I have a whole, like, resource page of how to do this. Here's one. Where can we find site list on Site Viva? Mm -hmm. so we don't publicly display that. Um, and we've done that for various reasons. We, we didn't want people, you know, to go to our website and feel like we were creating some sort of exclusive, something exclusive. 
Um, but if you want to talk to me after about, you know, wanting to understand from sites that are willing to connect with you, like Mitchell might be one of them and tell you about their experience on our system, then I can definitely connect you with happy customers that we have. Okay. Keep your questions coming guys. This is amazing. Um, Mitchell says site connect for Rowdy. I've really did a good job explaining that. Some also do it because research institutions require them to do it, particularly fellows, et cetera. PPD, so they were saying this is a response to your mm -hmm. part Excel thing. PPD has the same kind of programs as well. Mm -hmm. Guys, the whole industry has these kind of programs. You just need a network. And if you if you're afraid to like go in person, start on the comments here. Just start. Look how many different people are on this live stream. Just start here. That's networking. We have a guy gave you his email address. We have Bree, her profiles here. We have all these other people commenting. So start networking. Networking is getting to know someone else and seeing if there's synergies between you two. Like that's really like at its simplest form what networking is. You should feel blessed you don't know SIP. I am blessed. Thank you, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Transcelerates initiative, yes. What happened with yeah? Okay, that makes sense now. But mm -hmm. like, I remember in 2016, there was like so much noise around this Transcelerate initiative. What happened? It's still out there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's still out there. I mean, and I think that. I'll say this. I think it is a testament to the fact that sponsors really do want to figure out better ways to work with sites. And there are some sites that, you know, have the bandwidth to participate and are giving feedback. And I think there's some great conversations that are happening. Um, but part of the challenge is there's not a lot of sites at the table for that initiative. Why? Because nobody's paying you, right? You're having to enroll patients, get your visits done. This is such a broader problem with the site part of our industry is the foundation that you need to run your business to recruit, to get out in the community, to have technology, to actually have real relationships with your sponsors, talk to them in CROs, talk to them about what you're experiencing. No one, how, how do you recover the cost of that time? Um, and so that initiative is out there, but I think that they're still trying to figure out how to have the right site voices at the table. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why I like Viva and why Brad likes Viva, you guys get it. I mean, you're site-focused, site-centric, true site-centricity. And what, what you're actually doing with these free tools is empowering sites to take control little by little, but it starts with mm -hmm. e-regulatory because quite honestly, I think that's the easiest thing to start with, which is smart. But all these tools, you know, to empower sites – and then at the same time, empowering sponsors, because if you if you make the share of the the workflow um, seamless, you're empowering sponsors, too. So and then throw mm -hmm. in the e-pros and all the things for the patients, you know, e-diaries. You're kind of empowering the three major stakeholders in this industry that matter, mm -hmm. which are sponsors, mm -hmm. sites, patients. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I like to say like a high tide lifts all boats, you know, and I think at Viva, we feel a sense of responsibility because we have been so fortunate and that's not been, you know, due to anything I've done at Viva because I just focus on sites, but we've been so fortunate to have, you know, 
the major sponsor stakeholders at the table with us that I think we feel now like we have a true responsibility and we are positioned to make the industry better for much more than just sponsors. And that then makes it better for sponsors too, you know. I hope so because the industry needs it. The industry needs cohesion. You know, it's so fragmented, mm-hmm. especially at the site side. And this is where all the, you know, the, a big vendor came out today and said, hey, we're integrating EHR and it's going to help plug in um, to data. No, it's not. Look, let me tell you why it's not. Who's going to plug in their EHR into your system when it has nothing to do with research? Nobody. Like, this model of thinking is done. Like, maybe academics will do it, but what small site is going to do that? Like, the PIs I work with, they barely give me access to their EHRs, and I do research with mm-hmm. them. Why are they going to give access to some random tech vendor they know nothing about? The real way to do it is to empower people like me to make our lives easier, and we got to digitize the actual study things not the health the health that's a totally separate topic and this is get this topic is getting so convoluted with ehrs and study data they're not the same things ehr is ehr yes you can have real world evidence trials using ehr but it's not the gold standard of research which is double blind placebo you can't do that with medical records hate to break it to you guys you can't you can't do it with medical records unless we change the paradigm and don't do double blind placebo controlled trials anymore which that article from stat news last week says that's not the case in by in in the golden century of biotech that's not going to be the case so as long as we're still here that's not going to be so we better learn how to separate study data and digitizing study data versus electronic health records two separate things people are convoluting those things Mm -hmm. into the same topic around the notion of patient centricity which i think is ridiculous that that's my rant um you want me to add my experience to your rant so um working within academia uh this of course came up all the time and our investigators were also really interested in it. You know, like the EHR is like a treasure trove. They want to publish on it, blah, blah, blah. And I was part of a couple of studies where we hooked into our medical record and we started automating data out of the medical record into REDCap, which is a system that was created at Vanderbilt. And that's where I was. So we had like some cool backend access to it. Um, and this is kind of what we experienced. So as, as you may know, if you work in EHR data, it's not always accurate. There are conflicting things within it. It doesn't always meet the need. You know, an example is, okay, this patient has a history of smoking. Well, the, the case report forms require understanding how many packs a day did that patient smoke? Oh, well, that was never recorded. So that's not that helpful. What we found when we hooked into our EHR and got a big grant to do this and worked on it for years when I was there, at least. So this was three years ago. We had to actually monitor the system, the pipes. Did it pull the right glucose? This is an inpatient. There's tons of glucoses. Was it right? So instead of then entering the data, you know, again, from the medical record, which I'm not saying that's great either. What we were doing is we were testing all of the data that was pulled. So we didn't save any time. I'm not saying that in the future we may may not have better ways to do this, but 
we did not save time doing that. What we did is we shifted from entering the data ourselves to actually managing the technology, pulling it out and finding all kinds of errors or that we were pulling the wrong thing if it wasn't structured data. Um, we were not using like natural language processing, just to be clear, that type of thing. But it was really hard. And so I think it's going to take time to really figure this out and get it right. And the technology is not there yet. And the medical record, you know, if you really want to think about it, let's clean that up first. Like there <laughs> needs to be more like if you are just pulling out garbage into your case report forms or into an e-source system, like that's also the problem is that we need more structure within these medical records that would solve a lot of problems might be the right place to start versus trying to figure out how to hook it all out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It much, much, uh, much more articulate than what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Just okay. giving a real life example. That's all. Yeah. You're getting my uh, vitriol and my anger. <laughs> it's convoluted. And I don't, I hate that they do that because mm -hmm. it, it doesn't it it lets the charlatans hide under the umbrella of patient centricity. I've seen this firsthand too. Well, I think it's just another example of we need to have better relationships across sites, sponsors, technology providers, because I think it's coming from a place of trying to be helpful, but not really understanding the the deep and unique expertise that we each have. Um, yeah. And you gotta, ha you have to have the right people at the table to solve problems like this, where you're, cr and we're, I've had my own experience with that at Viva, where you're solving problems across stakeholders, across expertise. Um, you gotta have a lot of deep thinking and the right people at the table to solve those kinds of problems. Yes, I think if anything, in 2022 and 2023 going mm -hmm. forward. You know, there was this whole fear from sites earlier, pre-COVID, about, well, tech, you know, they could replace us. I think we're seeing more than ever that there's no way we can do mm -hmm. studies without sites. So now it's just a matter of sites. Hey, sites, relax. It's okay yeah. to adopt some of this tech that you're comfortable using. And actually, leads into this question. How are you balancing site empowerment versus site burden with Viva Site Wall? That is a great question, Seb. Hi, Seb. Um, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> and, and this is, speaks to something unique that we're doing. So when I joined Viva, we made a decision. We had just made a decision that we were going to give our e-regulatory software away for free. And let me just tell you how excited I was about that. And I spent a long time um, and a lot of conversations trying to talk in, talk to cite people and say, you should use this technology. It's amazing. It's free. It's the best E-Reg. You're going to get all these insights. Da, 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 da. Well, some people did. Some people didn't. They said, I've already spent a lot of time and energy. I already have an E-regulatory system or sounds great. I love the idea. I don't have the bandwidth to implement something like that. Um, I am living hand to mouth right now and doing what sponsors tell me to do. And, you know, I'm struggling and this is just not something that I can prioritize all different reasons why, you know, it wasn't taking off as a fully regulatory system. When we then connected documents in that system to our sponsors also operating on our platform, what we, what we realized is we made a system for e-regulatory. It, it's cool. It looks at your documents, it versions controls them. You can do e-signatures. You can walk them through all these different statuses. It's awesome. You know when they're going to expire, blah, blah, blah. 
What if you want to take those documents and just share them back with Bayer, as an example, um, because you're using our system for just sharing? Well, we didn't build it for that. You're doing way too much work on it as an e-reg. So you know what we did to decrease the burden? We just now have uh, released that coming in December. We are making it super easy to get on our technology and just share information. Just the document comes in and you send it over and you share it. And we are not going to force people to use it as any regulatory system in order to share information with sponsors. Trying to make it easy. Trying to just say, okay, we hear you. You feel like I don't want to use it for an e-reg and you're kind of making me in the product. And I don't want that. I just want to share back information with a sponsor. So now we're doing that too where we believe that hopefully the product is good enough and people see what we're wanting to do for the industry. And then when it makes sense, maybe they transition to using more of the system, but we're not going to require that. So we're really trying to think about how to meet sites where they are, how to solve this foundational problem of this technology burden, all these systems, all these logins, how do we do that? And how do we not force them to take on more parts and pieces than they absolutely need to just get the work done in front of them. Um, and also the drag and drop upload feature. That's right. So they can um, use other technologies and drag and drop it. Yeah. Um, okay, last one. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you, everybody, for being engaged during this live stream. Look, Bree's LinkedIn is underneath. If you're watching or listening later, her LinkedIn's in the show notes. Go connect. Um, last one. I think it's a good way to end it. Trying to transition as an international coordinator to a trained CRA in the U.S. is difficult. Any mm -hmm. suggestions? And Bree, please, can you send a link to the free Viva training? So any advice for mm -hmm. Collins, Bree, and then? Yeah. Yeah. Collins, um, send me your information. I mean, one great thing about my role is having connections outside of just the U S. Um, and I think I might be able to help you just get some ideas and get on some people's radars. Yeah. CRC international CRC. Uh, so if you're immigrating to the United States to be a CRA, so the, the hardest step of that is actually the immigration part. Um, what has helped others is um, if you can work. So I interviewed someone who's a clinical team lead um, at one of the major CROs. And she, she was a pharmacist from Brazil. She ended up getting a CRA role uh, in Brazil for a major CRO. And then once she was within the organization at the CRO, she was able to have them help her move with her husband to the U.S. So I think sometimes it's maybe counterintuitive, but work, find an organization like a global organization first in your country before you transition. But if you can find it the other way around too, like try to network and find sites here, there are some sites that would sponsor you as well. We've sponsored immigrants in the past as well. Um, so that's that. Um, you want to do a few more questions, Bree? I got it. I got time. Let's do it. Okay, here's one that agrees with you. Medical records do need to be way more structured before anything can be done. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I have 14 years in research. Hey, vet, I just opened my own site. Congrats. You are <laughs> like my DNA, and I'm having a lot of difficulties to have uh, studio studies. Okay, uh, you recommend me better to enter the network. It would be a good idea to obtain more studies. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt to get on site vault list because you might get a study. Um, it's not really what it's made for, but you might. Um, but also clinicaltrials.gov and contact me. We help sites too. Um, network with the people on LinkedIn. There's ways the small biotechs, I think, are more willing to um, work with the smaller sites. Um, they have less requirements about what kind of sites they look like investigator experience and all that stuff because at the end of the day we need patients and we're in the busiest period of research i've ever seen are you seeing the same thing brie on your end yes absolutely i have never seen it this busy in my entire career Mm -hmm. so it's never been a better time to be a new site Mm -hmm. because what everyone wants is those patients everybody wants those patients why do you think they're investing billions of dollars into ehrs those are patient data. That's what they want. Okay, here we go. Last one, then we'll end it. Thank you, Bree. Dan, what do you think about data being or originating in countries like Mexico, more specifically Baja? I know who this is, LinkedIn user. You are Zane. <laughs> you are Zane. I love this dude. He just started a site in uh, Tijuana. Um, is wow. there an opportunity for research and development here in Baja? I know we, within Mexico, we've got over 80 sites on our technology doing all kinds of research at their sites. So really? um, there's plenty more, but yeah, we've got 80 in Mexico. You guys are international. <laughs> We're in 80 <laughs> countries, yeah. Yeah, Zane. I'm pretty sure it's Zane. So uh, you're in a unique situation. All right, so that's it. So thank you so much, Bree. I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for having me. We got to do it again. Uh, I'll put links underneath this video to the Viva Site Vault training and their YouTube channel and Bree's LinkedIn. And yeah, thank you so much. I mean, you, you're a unique individual in this space, and but you you shouldn't be unique because like you're you're the blueprint for other people. Like, there's so many nurses that want to get into research. So look look at how Bree did it. You know, you don't have to follow exactly what she did, but she's a perfect example of like the many different options you have as career in this space. And there's tons of opportunities Mm -hmm. still. And if you're entering research, this is like the perfect time to get in. Or if you're trying to level up your career and you've been in this industry for a long time, this is the perfect time to do it as well. I'm super bullish about this industry. We're all very grateful to be in it during this heading into this recession where it looks like fingers crossed, our industry seems relatively safe uh, from this recession. Thanks for having me. Thanks to everybody for your time. Thank you, Bree. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Go follow. Go connect with Bree. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Take care.